Hello, welcome to another episode of In The Money. I'm Constantine Brandopolo with Fidelity's Trading Strategy Desk. And I'm very happy to welcome back both of our options play stars here, Jessica Inskip, Director of Education and Product, and Tony Zhang, Chief Strategist. Uh, happy to see you both side by side. How are you? Doing great. So happy to see you as well, KV. Looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. Doing fantastic. Great to be here, KV. Here we are, uh, guys. We are in a brand uh, new day of a brand new month in 2024 already. January, January effectively flew by. Uh, this week has been uh, nothing short of extraordinary in terms of uh, the news feed. Uh, for sure, we've had plenty of earnings. We've had... Uh, the Treasury quarterly uh, refunding announcement, we had the Fed, we have all sorts of macroeconomic uh, data pieces that are coming out. So there's been plenty to look at, and it's just, uh, it's just Thursday afternoon, the week's not over. Uh, we have plenty to look forward to this afternoon after the close, as well as tomorrow. Uh, Tony, I'm curious, what do you make of all this? How are you guys digesting this information over there from your, from your perspective? Yeah, thank you so much, KV. And if we take a step back and take a look at uh, the macro picture and look at it through the lens of the equity markets, it's difficult not to try to draw some parallels between what we're seeing right now with what we saw in the late 90s with the dot-com boom, um, which really kicked off with the AI sort of hype and revolution that, uh, that got kicked off at the beginning of last year. And kind of we're still continuing to see that uh, into the end of last year and even to the beginning of this year. Now, I will admit, we've learned our lesson as investors from the late 90s, that today's tech companies that are seeing the phenomenal growth look nothing like the shell companies we saw during the 90s that were nothing other than companies that had a name with no real revenue or, or profits attached to it. Um, however, there are still many parallels that we can draw, especially if we look at today's semiconductor companies and some of the AR software related companies, the performance of them is very, very similar to the internet uh, type companies, especially out of the late 90s. You know, if you look at hardware companies like Cisco Systems back in the late 90s, look very similar to what we're seeing right now in terms of Microsoft, NVIDIA, AMD. Um, now, to be very frank, I'm not suggesting that like in the late 90s, we're headed towards a crash because the tech companies that are uh, showing these types of performance, they're highly profitable. They have a lot of cash on hand. But I do think it's important for us to pay attention to the valuations that they're continuing to trade at, especially given the fact that we're still in a 4% uh, interest rate environment on the 10-year yield. And the question is, does these do these valuations make sense, especially if you consider the fact that um, you know corporate earnings hasn't quite caught up to the stretching evaluation we've seen since the beginning of last year to right now. And I think right now it's important to pay attention to as to whether or not the current valuations can support the, the level of growth we've seen in terms of revenue and EPS for these types of companies, which you know, with regards to AI, 
in my opinion, the revolution's here to stay. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be a, a, a disruptive technology and we're very much in the early days of it. However, the question is how far along are corporate earnings going to grow with this new revolution and how long is it going to take? And I think that's really what investors are starting to contend with this specific earnings quarter. And we've seen some of the big names report earlier this week where numbers were strong, yet the reaction to those numbers were quite poor. Uh, and really, from my perspective, is not has nothing to do with the numbers themselves, but rather the valuations that we continue to trade at right now. So in the short run, I do think, especially for this particular earnings season, and potentially next earnings season, that there is likely going to be more of a bearish opportunity as investors reconsider the valuations that we're trading at and the fact that corporate earnings haven't, haven't caught up fast enough to the expansion we've seen in, in multiples. However, the any pullbacks that we do get perhaps this quarter and next quarter, I do think present better long-term buying opportunities for those who do see AI and do see this as a new disruptive technology for the future. So if we look at, like for example, the NASDAQ 100 index, this is something that we've been talking about for quite a few weeks now, which is the fact that as we print new highs on the NASDAQ 100, we continue to see that higher high show classic signs of exhaustion. You have negative divergence, higher highs in price, no longer being confirmed by higher highs and momentum, showing that there's just a higher probability that you get a pullback. Even a minor one down to the 16,000 level on the NASDAQ 100 would be my downside target right now going into earnings. Very good. Uh, thank you for the macro view and the technical uptake. Uh, Jessica, curious, uh, are you in the same boat? How are you feeling about this? Well, you know, KV, I have a lot to say about AI. And my opinion going into this earnings season, tech was really priced for perfection. And anything that didn't see this increase in demand because of the AI hype was very quickly sell the news. Of course, around all of these other economic events that has made a very eventful week thus far, still into it. But I do think there are similarities to the dot-com boom. Echoing Tony's sentiment there slightly, there... The dot-com boom absolutely was part of the World Wide Web revolution. And that's the similarity that I'd like to apply is how that was just applied in every single vertical, but we didn't understand how that was going to work. During that time, it was difficult to evaluate those companies. We didn't understand how they worked. We don't know how they made money. People would put dot-com on their name, IPO. There were a ton of IPOs hitting the NASDAQ and hitting the market. And remember, IPOs come with lockout periods. And so when the bubble finally burst, when all of the sellers came in, those lockout periods were lifted. And then there was the flood of sellers, and that drove the stock prices down. But what initially drove them upwards was that promise of value, but that promise of value had no follow-through on earnings. And the clear worst part, in my opinion, for the dot-com bubble was no clear path to profitability. And that's what I would like to consider and think about applying to today when we have the AI boom is not as many IPOs. I think that's important to know. These are mature companies, not, not newer companies. They have earning expectations and they have that clear path to profitability. And so that's certainly not the that a direct parallel or comparison, but the revolutionary aspect is certainly there. But what came after the World Wide Web, because we did not understand we're using computers in literally everything that we do today. It's applied across every single sector, not just technology. And that 
was followed with very quickly with a productivity increase. And that is something we're even seeing today, which I think is interesting if you dial into the data. But nonetheless, I, I do agree we want to care for moving too far too fast. In the near term, consolidation is absolutely likely, happens in the market all too often. But I do definitely firmly believe in the AI story and the bullish thesis behind it. But Speaking of productivity, I think we should definitely talk about the big decision that occurred yesterday. The Fed was paused once more, retained rates at the current levels. We expected that. Um, in 2023, we had GDP up three or at 3.1%, and that was bolstered by consumer demand and improving supply chain conditions. And it seems like high interest rates have been weighing on businessmen investment, nominal wage growth is easing, inflation has eased, but it's above the Fed's goal of 2%, which Fed Powell will tell us consistently that same song he likes to sing every time we get that speech after his decisions. But it, I think there's some really key takeaways. And I, I know when we discuss any type of Fed Powell commentary, we can go really deep into exactly what he said. But in a nutshell, Growth is strong. The labor market is strong. We had six months of good inflation data. There is expectation of more to come. And Fed Chair Powell called this a good picture. And the biggest takeaway from the commentary, in my opinion, is he does not expect nor need to see higher unemployment. And that's really good news. And that helps with that soft landing scenario. So I was looking at the, of course, broader picture and the strong economy and perhaps staying very true to that dual mandate, which is maximum employment and price stability. Yeah, very important points. Uh, Jessica, obviously, we're just about, you know, a day uh, uh, into it post, post the presser here. Um, you know, markets had a pretty soft day. Uh, into the close yesterday, but are are taking a good portion of that uh, give back uh, uh, right back to the upside. So you know we'll we'll see where we shake out at the end of the week, and uh, we'll we'll take a look and see what February brings. But I'm very curious, you know, given those macro and technical views that you've so structurally laid out here for for the audience, I'm curious what the thought process is for for the trades this week, Tony. Uh, it's your turn. Let's uh, let's talk about what you have on your radar here. Yeah, thank you so much, KV. Um, and as you said earlier this week, we had a pretty large uh, amount of information come to us in the form of corporate earnings. Microsoft, uh, Alphabet reporting earlier this week, AMD, UPS. These are big names that reported, giving us a good sense for how markets reacting to big tech, as well as a little bit of a glimpse into perhaps consumer spending trends as well. And this, and after today's close, uh, Amazon reports. Now, Amazon technically is in the consumer discretionary space, but from my perspective, Amazon actually derives a lot of its value from its AWS cloud services. And especially given you know the AI revolution uh, environment that we're in, it's really what we attribute a lot of its current valuation to that specific side of the business. And if you look at a chart of Amazon, this is a stock that has nearly doubled in the last year or so. So when a stock doubles in a year, you start to see 
classic signs of exhaustion sometimes. And that's exactly what we're starting to see here in Amazon, where we continue to make higher highs in price over the last couple of months, yet it fails to make a higher high in momentum. And these are some of the signs that the, the rally is starting to get to the uh, towards an end of a rally. And especially more importantly, if you look at a relative chart of Amazon to its sector, you start to see that it's no longer making higher highs in price. So you have absolute outperformance, but the relative performance to its sector is no longer there. And that those are some of the signs that going into earnings leads me to believe that it's less likely to going to break out higher back towards its all-time highs, and it's more likely to experience some form of pullback. And part of that thesis really is also the, the picture around valuations. And that's what I was talking about at the top of the show is my concerns and the investors showing concerns around valuations, given how far these stocks have stretched in terms of valuation over the past year or so. Amazon trades at 43 times forward earnings. And keep in mind, yes, AWS is a fast-growing element of its of its business, but the other half is an e-commerce business that simply you know, can't trade at the same types of tech valuations as the AWS cloud side. So the fact that it trades at an over 100% premium relative to the S&P 500 uh, you know, is, in my opinion, quite stretched. Even though we are expecting about 35% EPS growth next year, that is certainly quite high. And for those reasons, it does command a premium, but does it? should it trade at more than twice the average valuation of the S&P 500? And I think from my perspective, when you look at that type of stretch valuations, there's some room for downside, especially if there's any form of guidance that they provide that is slightly softer than what markets are expecting. So if you look at kind of the reports that we've seen here this week so far with UPS giving us an, an, a sense for how Outlook is going to look like for shipping volumes this year, my, the reaction to Microsoft's strong earnings this particular quarter, I think that could provide a bit of a preview for Amazon uh, going into earnings this afternoon. Yeah, Tony, you mentioned obviously a, a significant amount of information to consider here. If you're putting on a trade idea in the options world, you have to be very cognizant uh, of, uh, of the earnings date, given that they're reporting after the close today. I'm sure that that's affecting options pricing. What could you tell us about that? Yeah, especially going into an earnings event, options pricing tends to get expensive. If we look at the IV percentile of, of Amazon, you're saying we're seeing uh, percentiles above 60%. So options are very expensive, which means that going into an event like this, traditionally you might look at a, a, a simple bearish example, a bearish trade structure, such as buying a put option. But from my perspective, buying a put option when options are this expensive is, going, is, is challenging, especially given the fact that we know once the earnings event comes out, those values of those puts just from an implied volatility perspective will decrease, which is why I think the better trade structure going into earnings is actually to be an option seller. And that not only aligns uh, from an implied volatility perspective to options, but also from a directional perspective. Because as I said, if you look at the reactions to uh, corporate earnings this particular earnings season, yes, the reaction is negative, 
but it's not like I believe Amazon's going to fall apart, right? AWS business is likely going to still show phenomenal growth. So I do think that it's more likely uh, a bit of a neutral to bearish uh, outcome that I'm that I expect to see out of Amazon this particular quarter. So I think the trade structure for this is to be an option seller. So I'm going out to the March expiration and I'm looking at selling the 160, 175 call vertical for earlier today about $4.85 per contract. That means I'm selling the March 160 calls and I'm going to buy the March 175 calls against that to reduce my overall risk. In this particular case, my overall risk is just a little over $1,000 per contract and my maximum gain is going to be the $485 per contract if Amazon stays below 160 at expiration, which has about a 65% probability of that happening. And the goal here is to simply uh, see if Amazon stays where it is or moves a little bit lower in order to profit from this type of trade structure. Yeah, Tony, I think this is a perfect opportunity, you know, given that if someone in the audience is considering this trade, you know, you just have a couple hours, effectively less than a couple hours to put it on. Uh, you know, one thing that we need to be aware of going into earnings announcements is something that is known in the options world as the expected move. Could you help us out uh, with that? How would uh, someone gauge what the current expected move post earnings is being priced in uh, for, for Amazon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think this is a really important concept that you're bringing up called expected move. And for everyone that's viewing this today, if you're not sure what expected move means, it's really looking at the options market and looking at what the option market is assigning in terms of probabilities of how big of a move Amazon could make on the back of earnings. And if you look at an at the money straddle that, that expires this Friday, as you can see, it's currently priced at about $10 or so. And that gives us an at the money straddle, gives us a good sense as to what the option market is pricing as to just roughly how large of a, or rather the size of the magnitude of, or of, of Amazon stock could be on earnings. So the with the $10 expected move on Amazon, that equates to about a 6.5% move that the option market is sort of expecting Amazon could move between now and expiration Friday at the end of tomorrow. So a very short period of time that you have between now and expiration uh, tomorrow. And the expected move is roughly about 6.5%. And the best way to calculate it is to look at it at the money straddle to give you a good sense for the pricing of an expected move. So Tony, just to recap, we look at the options expiration, the closest to, but right after the earnings report, we'll look at the at the money call and put, or the closest to at the money as we could possibly look at. And it, and, and uh, given the price of that straddle, uh, we, we know what the expected move is. And that expected move, Tony, is uh, effectively a one standard deviation expectation, right? So. 68% uh, of occurrences approximately should fall within that up or down move, but it could be larger, right? That's exactly right. It could be larger, it could be smaller, but on average, 68% of the time you are looking at a move, at least that's what the option market is pricing in right now. And the option market happens to be quite good at pricing these probabilities. We'll, uh, we'll, we, uh, we will see, right? Right after the close and how we finish out on Friday for sure. Very exciting. Jessica, uh, let's take a look at uh, at your trade idea. I understand you're looking at something that already reported, uh, and so you're doing an options trade post earnings. 
That's right. An options trade post-earning. And today we're looking at Microsoft again. Um, pullbacks are absolutely opportunities to add positions to your longer-term portfolio. Like Tony stated, Microsoft absolutely had beat expectations, but they fell with the broader market. They had lighter guidance. And we know when there is commentary from earnings, just like there's commentary from Powell, they can shed light on what we can look forward to. But there's also a lot of market reaction around that. There was some really great takeaways, in my opinion, from Microsoft's earnings call. One, one specifically was the statement that we moved from talking about AI to applying AI at scale. And I've been looking from that shift of talking and the application. Yes, there is spending, but how is that actually translating in the shift over? Now, it's early days from when Microsoft released their co-pilot in any adoption, but they're starting to see growth in adoption. And that is absolutely a positive. I want to see that momentum. And just, just a personal hope there. I hope they bring Clippy back because I think it's a great opportunity to have an open AI type of model within 365. But Nonetheless, we will see. But what's important about the co-pilot is they stated how it is helping their workers and workers who are utilizing it perform tasks quicker, 29% faster. And it's experiencing quicker adoption than their E3 or E5 enterprise suites, which is also very interesting because now with the whole AI narrative, I want to see productivity. That's a piece of it to, to keep that bullish thesis. And more importantly, when I'm considering earnings that were good and there was positive earnings takeaways from the call, this is when analyst revisions come in. And there weren't any revisions to the downside following the call. There were just reiterations of buys and they were price target increases. So perhaps is it moving too far too fast or the broader markets? Nonetheless, this is when technicals really come into play. And this is a longer term trade. So naturally I'm going to look at a, a longer term chart, but I do see a bullish trading cycle. I look consistently at the 13, 26 and 40 weekly moving averages because those represent one, two and three quarters of rolling prices. And so I see that increasing. We'll look at the slope of the line as where as as long as or as well as the security being above or below it in this case above which is a bullish trading cycle in the way that I utilize technical analysis in this longer term view but I am watching the support zone that I have outlined from 365 to 384 that is important to keep this investment thesis for this particular trade and then I wanted to bring up RSI as well and this proves Tony's point on the macro view earlier it is showing overbought RSI is a momentum indicator. But if there is a price breakout, like there was with the beautiful cup and handle that was shown with on Microsoft and a lot of the other talk, the tech stocks, I want to see price confirmed and I want to see it confirmed with momentum. And so if it didn't go to that overbought territory, it'd actually be a little bit concerned. But oftentimes that means there's going to be consolidation that's very likely in the short term, but it supports higher momentum in the long term and further trend continuation. So the way that I want to, of course, add this to my longer term portfolio is via a cash secured put. As an options trader, we can sell a cash secured put, utilize the obligation within that short put to buy the stock. So I'm going to sell the March 15th 405 put for about 1020. That's the premium that I'm going to collect. Now, since I am utilizing this, and earlier today, this was when Microsoft was around 404 when that price was there. 
This is an at the money option. I am selling this with the intent to buy the stock, which means I'm actually going to have the same substantial risk potential of owning 100 shares of the stock, but I'm reducing it by the premium that I receive of that $10.20 per share. And again, the intent is to own the stock and add this to my longer term portfolio as perhaps there is a pullback. I could buy the security at a discount in comparison to the current price and then profit from a more bullish thesis when we move from that neutral to bullish territory. Yeah, uh, Jessica, color me an early adopter here of, of the co-pilot. I've been playing around with it for uh, for a couple of weeks now, and it's quite fascinating what, what you can do uh, with the functionality within it, especially with the uh, introduction of uh, ChatGPT4 uh, into, into that piece of software. I think the overall Microsoft Office proficiency uh, is is going to go up, uh, you know, tremendously here or incrementally uh, for those who uh, weren't really good at it previously. So we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, early days here. I understand if you were anticipating a consolidation, um, or you know, if you're looking at this breakout out of the cup and handle formation, you wanted to break above and stay above. So, you know, from the technical standpoint of view here on the strategy desk, we call it uh, uh, break above and go, right? That's the preferred uh, move here. But listen, if you're looking to put money to work and you're a seller of the 405 put and the stock does pull back and you were actually thinking about buying the stock, you will be put the stock so long as it is below the 405 strike on expiration. So for those of you who are, who are buy, looking to buy Microsoft, right, and own it no matter what happens, if it goes lower, this is a strategy that you could implement. But some of our audience participants probably thinking about it from the perspective of how should they manage risk in case they've changed their mind. Maybe the market overall um, starts getting a little softer and maybe Microsoft actually does head south from these current all-time highs. So Jessica, I'm curious, generally, uh, what are your go-to ways of managing risk in short put strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also on your comment on the co-pilot proficiency, I, I like that word and plays out with the whole productivity thesis there. But nonetheless, you're, you're right. This is a capital intensive strategy with the intent to own the security. So there's a couple ways you can manage risk. First and foremost is the substantial risk potential that is equivalent to stock ownership. That could be mitigated by creating a credit spread rather than selling the at the money cash secured put at the money would be considered aggressive in this mm -hmm. in this instance. So that that's one way just to reduce upfront risk, we would cap it if it does move lower with by buying a further out of the money option. Number two is if you are utilizing the strategy to buy Microsoft, but the investment thesis completely shifts, you know, things can happen. We see that all the time. The only way to remove your assignment risk, of course, is to close the option. But what I like to 
the way I'd like to position it with cash secured puts or when selling premiums in, in this case is your risk-free zone. We're receiving a premium of $10.20, which means it's also in comparison, I'm just buying the stock outright. I'm not looking for more than a rally of $10.20. Otherwise, I would have done better just buying the stock. And the same with the downside there. So 100% of the premium, if I see a loss there, and of course, I want to account for some time as well, because this is about 45 days out, and we are going to benefit from that daily time decay of options. But at that case, I would consider closing the option if my entire investment thesis was incorrect. Or, of course, there are always other recourses we can roll and adjust just depending on the situation. But that's why options add a layer of complexity because of that expiration date, we have to monitor them. Yeah. So defining a loss tolerance up front and kind of gauging what you're going to do based off of that tolerance, uh, whether it is a percentage of the credit received uh, or, you know, a technical zone of sorts, uh, you know, closer to your break even uh, with, you know, with that uh, premium received versus uh, the strike of your choosing. So a couple of ways to think about it. No one way. Uh, each client uh, is different. And so it's important to be thinking about this stuff before you put the trade on so you are prepared to act when and if necessary. Uh, Tony, we have a look back and I think it was a successful one this time around. Let's take a look and break that one down. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I laid out a cash secured put on applied materials on the back of uh, the belief of this long-term story with regards to AI and the fact that semiconductor stocks are really one of the first uh, beneficiaries of the AI revolution. So Applied Materials, supplier of fabrication equipment for semiconductor stocks. Um, we sold the 151 put expiring in February a few weeks ago for about $5.35. Earlier today, you can buy that back for about 80 cents or so. These are puts that are well out of the money with the stock trading above 165. So my thoughts here are, if you uh, you know are not a long-term investor in this particular stock, which I happen to believe there is a, a thesis for that because of the current valuations that it trades at, um, you know you simply take your profits and move on. But if you do still believe in this stock and you like to participate it or potentially participate it, I do think here's an opportunity to roll it up to a new 30-day at the money strike. You know the March 155 uh, 165 puts uh, is something that you can do as well. And uh, Tony, very important, right? If you are deciding to roll it um, to to a, a brand new trade to a new to a new structure, uh, we have to be aware of that earnings date, right? The expected earnings date for AMAT is the fifteenth of February, so in just a couple of weeks. Uh, be aware of that date, circle it, uh, make sure that you are uh, aware of that a binary event potential, and of course, that is going to be affecting options pricing as well, just like it is with a trade idea in Amazon uh, with earnings on the nose after the close here. Correct, Tony? That's correct. Excellent. Well, uh, Jessica, I'm curious, you know, what should our audience participants uh, be on the lookout for? What are we going to be discussing next week? 
Absolutely. As we've been saying consistently, we've got a slew of earnings this afternoon. So we will get a pulse on those earnings. We have the employment situation tomorrow. So it's going to help with those overall macro views and technical levels. And there is a lot of Fed speak slated next week that has the potential to move markets that we will certainly discuss with actionable trade ideas. Understood. That brings us to a close. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, Tony and Jessica, for bringing new, uh, exciting, fresh ideas to us here each and every week. Thank you, KV. Always happy to have a conversation with you. It's great to be here, KV. Hey, listen, everyone in the audience, don't forget about the Trading Strategy Desk-led follow-up to this session. You can uh, sign up by going to fidelity.com forward slash in the money follow-up. That is every Friday at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. You can also subscribe to the Fidelity uh, Active Investor Newsletter by going to fidelity.com forward slash Active Investor Weekly. We hope to see everybody back here next Thursday for another episode of In The Money. Take care until then. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Options trading entails significant risk and is not appropriate for all investors. Certain complex option strategies carry additional risk. Before trading options, contact Fidelity Investments by calling 800-544-5115 to receive a copy of Characteristics and Risks of Standardized Options. Supporting documentation for any claims, if applicable, will be furnished upon request. There are additional costs associated with option strategies that call for multiple purchases and sales of options such as spreads, straddles, and collars as compared with a single option trade. Technical analysis focuses on market action. Specifically, volume and price. Technical analysis is only one approach to analyzing stocks. When considering which stocks to buy or sell, you should use the approach that you are most comfortable with. As with all your investments, you must make your own determination as to whether an investment in any particular security or securities is right for you based on your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and financial situation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Greeks are mathematical calculations used to determine the effect of various factors on options. Views expressed are as of the date indicated, based on the information available at that time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of options play and are not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. News, commentary, market data, and research reports are from third-party sources unaffiliated with Fidelity, unless otherwise noted, and are provided for informational purposes only. Fidelity does not endorse or adopt third-party content. Fidelity makes no guarantee that the information supplied is accurate, complete, or timely, and does not provide any warranties regarding results obtained from their use. Any screenshots, charts, or company trading symbols mentioned are provided for illustrative purposes only and should not be considered as an offer to sell a solicitation of an offer to buy or a recommendation for the security. Options play and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. The third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC.